if you're the CEO of a medical company and you're looking at the rates at which your nurses are administering medication and using resources, these are less expensive from a material perspective. And a pre-filled syringe is better in almost every way than pulling medication out of a vial, except for the fact that it costs more to ship. So the CEOs want to transition everything into pre-filled. That's why right now the market for pre-filled syringes is about $8 billion, and it's projected to grow 10% year over year for the next 10 years. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show, and I want to give you a heartfelt Thank you for listening. Four seasons, all these episodes. It's our last episode of the season. We're going to be taking a break till January when we get started again. And we've got a great one. Rob Halverson is here today, and he is trying to change the world one niche at a time. He was at Dartmouth. He's had unbelievable jobs, and now he's got a medical device startup company. He's going to talk about his life of excellence, how he got that great job, and then jumping out of it and risking entrepreneurship. We're going to spend a lot of time on how to do it, why to do it. This episode's packed with little hacks. Welcome to the last show, 2023. Thank you for listening. Tell all your buddies, welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Robert Halverson working at home today in his startup near the beach, working his butt off. Thank you so much for making some time to share your insight on how to become an entrepreneur and go out and get it done after a much less than mediocre education. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Thank you so much, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I appreciate it. We're going to start off the way we always start off. Robert Halverson, what is your definition of excellence? I think. For me, there's two facets of excellence. You can look at excellence externally and internally. So externally, excellence is typically defined as being better than your peers, those who are around you, which I think is meaningful in some contexts like sports or financial success or you know whatever academic success. But I think the more interesting definition of excellence is within yourself. And if you are doing something, regardless of how good it is relative to other people, if you're doing something better than you did the day before, I think that's excellent for you. And eventually, if you keep being excellent for yourself, you can end up being excellent for other people as well. So more perseverance, more hard work, every day get a little bit better, and you're excellent for yourself each day if you're getting better, but you keep doing that and eventually compared to others, yeah. which doesn't matter as much to you, you've hit excellent. And I don't know if you're listening right now in your car on 1.5 speed, but this is the one time I would say to slow it down. We got this dart oh, education. You can tell by the vocabulary, slow your speed down so you can learn how to talk proper English. Not from me, but from Robert. Well, we're going to dive into your life, but what we're looking to get to is Robert had some pretty good jobs, went to an Ivy League school had life made. And then he went out and started a company, became an entrepreneur and is gutting it out from the trenches. So we're going to get into how you set yourself up to start a business, how you come up with the crazy idea he has of making preloaded syringes. What the hell is that? Um, and how you make that jump from working for mega corporations for mega dollars to following your passion and putting it all on the line. But before we get there, before we get to pre-filled syringes that are smaller, cheaper, easier, changing the world, getting stuff into the third world, I'm sure we didn't talk about that. We're going to go way back pre-Dartmouth to high school life, and you're there in Ponte Verde Beach, Florida. It's almost your 10-year reunion, class of 2013. 
you had to have been kicking ass in high school and crushing it in classes and taking AP classes and super focused on being an engineer and doing the sports and being valedictorian if you got into Dartmouth. Do I got it right? I don't know what to say, Matt. <laughs> I think I think I got pretty lucky in high school. In middle school, I was on every rap sheet. I was in and out of detention and getting, I, I really struggled to find my place both for myself as an individual, socially with my peer groups, and then academically in school. And by the time, by the time high school rolled around, I, I, I had tried all the medications I had, you know, for ADHD and, and all this stuff. And my mom, bless her heart, she was working really hard to try and figure something out for me. And we ended up changing my diet and and doing a lot of exercise and something when high school came around something clicked and s- stuff just stuff just started working and I was able to be very very successful in that environment so I'm I'm really thankful for for my parents for sticking through it way to go mom and dad I find a lot of high achievers um and it sounds like it was more than just boredom but you're bored and so you're getting in trouble cuz you're bored um and you know the, the ADD's a real thing um, ADHD is a real thing. I, if you've listened to the show before, you know I believe in better living through medicine. You know if you're having trouble with depression, please call 911 or the depression hotline. We take that seriously. Um, but your parents um, were getting frustrated and they knew that you had it in you and they believed in you and they found an out-of-the-way way to fix it, diet and exercise. Who would have thunk it? By the way, I cut out sugar and wheat. I had to cut out alcohol because my doctor's an asshole. He made me quit drinking and nothing happened. Uh, and then I cut out sugar and wheat and you don't lose weight when you're as old as I am eight pounds in 10 days from just sugar and wheat. And now I've been thinking about, wow, I don't really need that alcohol anymore. Sugar, wheat, my joints don't hurt as much anymore. So your parents were forward thinking way back then. And you went to high school and did you play sports? I did. Yes. I played tennis on the varsity team all four years. And then my senior year, I fell in love with ultimate Frisbee much to the disappointment of the tennis coach, but we managed to make both work. And then you got straight A's, I'm assuming. Correct. And a perfect score on the SAT? Um, Close enough. (laughs) Pretty close to perfect. So if you're listening right now, you might be tuning out of this because not everybody's as smart as Robert, but we're not talking about that today. We're not talking about were you born rich, born poor, born smart, born stupid. We're talking about how you become an entrepreneur and how you pick it and what path you go through. That's what we're going to be getting into. So we know about high school. Then you go to Dartmouth. How did you choose Dartmouth? Because you didn't get into Harvard and you got into every other school you applied to? Actually, I only applied to Dartmouth. I did early decision there. Shut up. It was... No one only applies to Dartmouth because nobody gets into Dartmouth. What is it? 2.5% acceptance rate? Um, You applied to one school? Your parents should have whacked you upside the head. I take it back, mom and dad. Maybe you were good in middle school, but something went wrong in high school. Um, Dartmouth was was a really good school for me. The 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 pitch was athletic, outdoorsy, intellectual. Oh yeah, you think? And I I knew I wanted to get out of the South to just experience something different. And Dartmouth is in the middle of nowhere, Hanover, New Hampshire, and about as far away as you can get while staying on the East Coast. And it was it was a wonderful opportunity to not have to know what I wanted to do from the beginning. Their their engineering program didn't force you to pick what track you wanted to go down. You were able to have a liberal arts education on top of doing the hardcore engineering courses. And I learned so much more from my extracurricular classes than I would have if I was just hardcore on the like mechanical engineering grind for all four years. So how many how long did it take to go from Hanover to Boston? Because I know you went to Boston a lot. I I went to Boston a lot in college because you... How long did it take to drive there? Two hours. Two hours. Two hours. Yeah. Okay. So you're not... Middle of nowhere, try, try coming from Albuquerque, New Mexico. The next closest city is like <laughs> seven, eight hours away. Right now. Hanover, you're, you're in the a... The West Coast scale is, is a whole different beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. West Coast, we've got cities for hundreds and hundreds of miles. All right. So you're at Dartmouth. You knew you wanted to be an engineer. Correct. So how'd you figure that out in high school? You got some people listening to this right now. Like, I think I want to be an engineer. How did you know you wanted to be an engineer? And how much of that first year engineering classes helped validate your decision? And I know a lot of people pick a different sure. path. I think, the first year. I think when I was a kid, was interested in a lot of things. I wanted to be Steve Irwin for a while. And I was building a lot where I was, whether it was Legos or you know, rafts. I grew up on on the intercoastal waterway in the swamps. So we were building forts and and putting sticks together and 
strapping plastic bags to make sailboats. And whenever you tell your parents or their friends come over like, oh, you you would make a great engineer. But here I was just making tree forts, right? I didn't really know any different. And when it came time to go to college and my two loves were building things and Steve Irwin, the the track for building things was a little bit more concrete than how do I how do I take this passion for the environment and for animals and all those things. But I ended up being able to do both in college, which I'm which I'm really, really grateful for. So you did both, meaning you were focused on yeah. two things. Yeah. So when I did what's great about Dartmouth's engineering program is that you are able to take a lot of electives within the course. So I did a foreign study program in Costa Rica studying biology under the context of biomimicry. So on my mechanical engineering degree, I have biology courses because some of the best designs come from nature, whether it's, you know, the bullet train that's designed off of the aerodynamics of a blue jay going into the water or any of these new limbs that are being more dexterous and able to carry more things on these robotic arms than we've been able to come up with that are modeled off of the insect's exoskeleton. So there's a lot we can learn from nature and I've been I've been lucky to be able to do both passions. Where in Costa Rica did you go? We went all over. We went to La Selva, we went to Corcovado, we went to um north, south, east and west on the coast in the jungles. We went all over. We're here at the Edge of Excellence. We do endorse Costa Rica as a vacation location. If you're in North America and you're looking to get out of this world, six hours away, Costa Rica, strongly recommend it. So you're at Dartmouth, which is broadening your mind, which is what you pay the $96,000 a year for. And they give you this interesting education, which again, you're paying for that. My daughter's going to Northeastern. They have that co-op program. That's what sold me on it. And you get done, you got your engineering degree, and you decide to stick around and teach at Dartmouth. You're, uh, you're teaching on entrepreneurship and innovation in Nigeria. So well, real quick on this, because I got to get to the starting of this crazy company, and all companies are crazy, but yours is one of the craziest. What got you into sticking around another year? Because I know big money's coming your way when you come out of Dartmouth. You must be thinking long-term. What's your decision process? I'm going to be teaching. Uh, I'm going to be a teacher. So I actually didn't quite uh, know what I wanted to do. A good pause. And good I, pause. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do. And there was an opportunity to continue doing what I loved in education, which was, I'd found a love for being a teaching assistant and helping my fellow students unlock their own creativity. So one of the, one of the biggest insights I got in college happened by accident. I took a random elective freshman year called design thinking. And it was in the engineering school, but it was open to everyone. And the idea of this class is that creativity is not born. It is learned. It is a skill. Some people are better at it than others out of the gate, but everyone can use techniques to get better and improve. And folks would come into the class saying, oh, I'm not creative. And by the end of it, they were the ones surprising themselves with how incredible they could be. And there's a program that is run by a number of different institutions in the United States called the Young African Leadership Initiative that was started by the former President Obama. And he got a group, he, he recognized that there was talent in Africa that didn't have the resources to scale in the ways that would be most impactful to them. So these young leaders from all across the continent come to the United States and get to have connections and resources that they wouldn't otherwise have. And one of the fellows who came to Dartmouth to learn about design thinking ended up going back to Nigeria and wanting to start their own innovation clinic. And I had been teaching design thinking at Dartmouth as a teaching assistant for a couple of years. And the professor who was asked to teach this course said, I can't go, but maybe if you send a couple of our folks, myself, I had a great partner who I was working with, and then two folks from the Dartmouth Outdoors program. So we really brought together a bunch of people and were able to teach folks that they can be creative regardless of whether they think they have it in them. Wow. So th there's a big lesson if you're listening, uh, hopefully not on 1.5 speed. We're back down to one speed because of this wonderful accent and perfect punctuation in English. Um, but there's a lesson here if you're listening right now in your car, and that's try things out. Try random things out. If you're in college, take some classes that are out of the box. 
And I'm thinking about what you're talking about. You want to be an engineer, you, you know, entrepreneurship's kind of cool. You don't really know what you want to do. You go to a school because you don't really have to know what you want to do. You're trying different things out. That's the way to figure stuff out. If you're listening right now to this podcast, it's because you're young and you shouldn't have figured things out. If you think you know what you want to do for the rest of your life, you're probably wrong. So there's this serendipity. And as you're talking, I'm wearing these 5'11 shoes. My buddy Francisco had an almond farm and somebody he met made pants and sold $400,000 of these pants a year to the FBI. Now it's a $750 million business called 5'11. He was just talking to the guy. He was an almond farmer. I think about my buddy, John Hepworth. We did a podcast with him. He did a college project, became first wave fundraising. And if I go through most of the people I know had no idea what they were going to do. Usually, like I wanted to be a lawyer. I went completely the different direction. If they do know they want to be an engineer, they don't know that they're going to be making syringes. And we're going to get into these syringes in one second. So you take this class. It's a design class. Next thing you know, you're teaching design thinking and serendipity, serendipity, serendipity. So I'm guessing that part of your life process is to talk to people, ask questions, listen, deliver value. I just did an interview with the CFO candidate right before this. Never asked me any questions, tried to deliver value and kept telling me stuff that was so basic that we're already doing. She will never get hired. Ask questions, listen, deliver value. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. So you're, you're following that process and you're taking these opportunities because you don't know what to do, but you're consciously thinking, I'm going to try this out because it might lead in a direction. Or are you thinking, I'm just going to try this out. I don't know the direction. I think that luck is about taking as many opportunities as you are given. You don't necessarily have to know where it's going to lead. And it's so easy to say no afterwards. There's another podcast called How I Built This. And at the end of that podcast, he asks, how much of your success do you attribute to luck? And how much do you attribute to hard work? And that question really frustrates me because everybody is lucky. That's the It's a no-brainer. But I think that the people who are the most successful are ones who are able to take the luck that is given to them and actually act upon it. And that, that to me is more important than any individual skill that you might have. So I'll, I'll add to that. Luck is also about being prepared. Yeah. So if you haven't worked hard to get the engineering know-how, you don't see the engineering side of design, right? When I see design, I see functionality or I see appearance or I don't see, well, I do because I have so many friends that just fascinates me, but I don't see it the way you see it. So you got to be Taking opportunity, so you increase the chances of luck. That's right. With lots of preparation, which is by basically taking lots of opportunities and trying a bunch of things out. And also, it's a willingness to fail and and a willingness to put yourself out there. It's literally it's the same concept with going up and talking to someone who you hear is has a cool idea versus going out on the dance floor and dancing. You know, like it's it. If you don't feel awkward you're not pushing yourself hard enough. And anywhere you go, if you're able to be comfortable with uncomfortability, putting yourself out there and not being afraid to get rejected, even if it's just in a conversation, oh, I'm sorry, that's not going to work for me. Or, oh, that's that's not quite what I'm looking for. Great. Thanks for talking. I learned something new about you. That's, that's how you got to keep moving forward. That's how the luck will come. Yeah. So uh, by the way, 
Robert's company, CTO and co-founder of Pacto Medical, P-A-C-T-O Medical. You can find him at pactomedical.com, but I bet you never heard of it. Bet you never heard of Pacto Medical before. Nobody has. But what he just outlined on this path to where he is now, 10 years out of high school, so only six years out of college, he's on this path of creating opportunity, of creating luck by trying a bunch of different things out, by taking things seriously and preparing. And maybe you don't start doing that in high school like he did. He had a bad middle school. Uh, high school, he started. Some people don't even start in college. Some people don't start till they're 30 or 40. But you start getting prepared. You try things out. You build. And you have the guts to go off and do something crazy like start a business and leave a job designing interfaces at Amazon. All those warehouses where the people used to be and now there's robots running around. After Dartmouth Engineering, after teaching entrepreneurship and innovation in Nigeria, after going to grad school for product design, because that random idea, oh, I love it so much, I'm going to go to grad school and bring engineering in to these different products, goes into Amazon. And if you've seen it in the commercials, all those robots running around with the giant racks of shells above them, there's people there. And you know they're scientific about where the people are and what box goes where and how many inches. And, and then there's all the federal rules and the safety guidelines. That's what he's doing. He's designing all that, which sounds cool. You like robotics? How about that? And you leave. And he leaves. Oh, I, it even gets better. It even gets better. At Amazon in Boston, one of the coolest cities in the world, go Northeastern Huskies. Gets to go live in San Diego and work remotely, which is all going to be over soon, I hope, because of COVID. And leaves that to go work in a smart coffee mug, you know, making coffee mugs that take the temperature. The company kind of dissipates a little bit. A bunch of people had to leave. And he goes into business by himself in January 2023, a few months ago, leaves this big blue chip company with all this experience. And now is going to go try out something really weird. So. First, I want you to tell me how much guts does it take to leave that company? What was the decision process where you're like, hey, I got some good stuff? And I know, you know, it had just kind of changed, changed structures, we'll say. So you're sitting there wondering what you're going to do next. What was the guts part of and the entrepreneur, the decision making on starting on your own? And then you got to tell us this weird, crazy idea and how it's going to change the world. And I said, you never heard of Pacto Medical, but there's a chance. There is a chance that Robert here, become super famous. I think because Robert has found something really weird. Syringes, how much plastic or how much glass and how much rubber is wasted on these syringes that have a bunch of air in them. You got a little teeny bit of that medicine and all this air. How much does it cost to ship them? How much does it cost to store them? How much does it cost to package them? Well, if it's three inches long, I bet you if it's one and a half inch long, it costs about half. So what do you do if you live in Nigeria and you need shots and the average income's a dollar a day and the syringe is $2? What do you do? You invent something that 6.2 billion people in the world need right now. You change the world. You become famous. You get a global 650 you fl- or sorry, Gulfstream 650. You fly me around for making you famous on the <laughs> podcast. That's how it works. So what's going on with the guts and the decision making? And then tell us about these crazy syringes. I got to get you out to do our marketing. That was fantastic. <laughs> um, so to back up a little bit, I, I want to emphasize that this it wasn't a me endeavor. And also, it took less guts than you would expect. So Okay, well, let's, let's just deal with the me endeavor. You have a partner? There's three of us. Ian's. Okay, I have, I, have, I have four total. So I know yeah. how this goes. You get in the press and everyone's like, oh, you're the greatest. You're the smartest. I just want everybody to know Robert is the third best of I'll his take partners it. for I'll sure. I'll take it. He's just the one that Aaron Bright recommended. No for problem. Here. So, hey, partners, we know. Don't get mad at Robert. He's got no ego. Plus, he talks perfectly. Keep him as a front man. He's giving you credit. Okay, go ahead. What the three of you guys do? So backing up a little bit, in grad school, I met a bunch of incredible people who I clicked with and had similar interests with. One of them, his name is Ryan Steinbaugh. And him and I were friends. We had similar interests. We both did sports and we played video games. And we wanted to keep in touch when we moved to different cities. So every Wednesday, and his dad was Roger Steinbaugh. Uh, probably not. Maybe I don't know. Oh, you know less about sports than me. It's Roger Staubach. That was a sports Darn. joke. Keep going. <laughs> um, and so just to keep in touch, especially over the pandemic, we started calling each other every week 
we would play video games, catch up, or we would try and invent something. We called it scheming bros. And we had a bunch of different ideas. We were both getting into what a horrible name. Oh yeah. It it was just between the two of us. No, we didn't. This this is a personal endeavor and we were just having fun. You know, we tried to invent a couple things for baseball to stop sign stealing. And we were, we were looking all over the place for different ideas and we would spend a couple months churning on something and then go on to something else. And then Ian Spears, uh, our third co-founder out of the blue called me and was like, Hey, Robert, you like engineering stuff. I've been in sub-Saharan Africa for the last five years doing public health work on the ground. I have a bunch of ideas for things I think I can improve, but I have no idea how to make them real. Can I pitch you on some ideas? And I was like, yes. So we got on the phone and he talked to me for a couple hours about all the different things that he found when he was working with AmeriCares and, and other organizations down there. The, the backpacks that they carry the medication in, the bicycles that they take them to and from, the, the ice packs that keep the cold chain cold, the pre-filled syringes that are few and far between because there's not enough funding to get these syringes, but they're really, really important medically. They reduce a lot of injuries and they have a lot of medical benefits. And he pitched me on all these ideas. And the one that seemed the most concrete, the most concrete problem to tackle was that these pre-filled syringes are too bulky. They are too expensive to ship. And when they arrive, they can't fit in a lot of these medical bags in the last mile. So I called up Ryan after my talk with Ian. And I was like, hey, Ryan, I think I found us an idea that that we can actually work on. You know, all of these schemes that we've been doing were just kind of fun. But this one I, I thought could be real. So Ryan, Ian, and I, for the next year, all of us had full-time jobs. Ian was in grad school at Harvard in the public health program. And we were just working on this on our spare time. And every step along the way, we, our idea was validated where, oh my gosh, this is brilliant. We talked to a nurse. I, I hate it when they overflow. We talked to a supply chain manager. Oh my goodness, we could save so much if we put it into the smaller package. And we, we did a patent search and it seemed like no one had really come up with an idea as simple as this before. And so by the time last January rolled around, we had some prototypes. We had done a pitch competition and done very well in that. So the next logical step was, oh, we can get some more funding and we can actually make this real. Every step along the way was sequential. We first thought, oh, we'll sell the IP and that'll be it. And then the next step was, oh, maybe we'll make a component and then sell it to this other company. And then the more momentum we got, the more we realized how much was possible. For us to do. So when I got laid off, it wasn't a scary decision for me to go work on this. It was the next logical step because we had momentum and it, it just made sense to continue. Ian's idea probably to sell the IP, Ian's idea to build a prototype and sell it. Was it Ian driving not let's not go all the way, let's sell it when we can? Was that Ian? We make a great team together because our personalities are very different. Um, I am very forward thinking. I have crazy ideas. I say, go, go, go. And Ryan, who has a very similar background to me, very similar engineering background, he is very meticulous. He's very good at finding mistakes and very good at making sure that what we're doing is low risk. Ian is very good at maintaining excellence. We use this word on this podcast a lot, but he, if he has something that is going really, really well. He's incredibly good at maintaining that level of quality that is required to keep it moving. So between me, who's a pusher, Ryan, who is a puller, and Ian, who is a maintainer, we have a really, really good balance on our team. And was it Ian's idea to uh, exit? Was it Ian driving the exit strategy the whole time? I think all of us, when we began, it was least scary to say we'll sell the IP. Okay. Right. If if your kids who are working full-time jobs, 3D printing things in your bedroom, you're not thinking about competing against the world's biggest pharma companies, right? You're thinking about an early exit. And then the more we worked and the more validation we got from investors and from supply chain people and from physicians and nurses who we would talk to, the more we realized that it was possible for us to to be bigger than just uh, an idea boat. Where'd Ryan go to school? 
He went to Carnegie Mellon. Okay. I met him in grad school and then Ian and I went to Dartmouth. We were friends since freshman year. We just happened to be friends all throughout college. Okay. So let's break this down. So first of all, uh, you're contradicting my uh, previous episodes where I say that the Harvard guys think differently. And you heard a lot of that. If you're in your car listening, I hope you're not on 1.5 speed. Just this episode, go back to 1.5 next episode. The Harvard guys think differently. They build to sell. Most people, when you build a business, you build a business without ever thinking about selling. And I didn't build a business to sell it. You're not building a business to sell it. We build businesses to change the world. But you might as well think about your exit strategy when you start. So I see the Harvard people as a little bit different than the ones I know because they've got the exit cemented before they do anything, which is a, not a bad way to go about it. So I'm going to do a little plug for whoever it is that runs that program there at Harvard that gets people thinking about those big exits over and over and over again, as opposed to a lifestyle business. Um, so we got that. Uh, the lesson there is don't argue with the host. Uh, second one, um, passion. So you've got someone that's coming to someone else with their passion to discuss the other person's passion. So this guy's in Africa for how many years did he say he was there? Five years? Five years. Yeah. On and off. Five years, dude. He cares, right? You don't go. I've been to Africa three or four times. No, I've been to probably five or six times. You don't go there without a passion. You don't live there for five to five years without a passion. So he's passionate about saving people, yeah. bringing uh, Western medicine to people, getting rid of diseases. You know, he's tired of seeing some horrible things that he's seen. He's got the passion. Then he comes in and he starts calling his buddies. And guess what? Rob's got this passion that he could see. And this goes back to talk to people about your vision. Talk to people about your future. Right now, figure out who you're going to talk to about your future. So we got the passion lesson. It's easier to start a business you're passionate about. And um, we've got the exit lesson. We've got the partnership lesson, three different types of partners. Now me and my partners, we're all exactly the same. So we've got to hire out for that person that's low risk because none of us are low risk. We got to hire out for that person that's the perfectionist because all four of us are go, go, go. And it's called driver on this show because we use the disc episode seven, I think is the disc episode. Go, go, go. You can't have four go, go, goes. So I, I would never change my partners. We've been partners for 31 years, but it's interesting that it worked out because we're all the same. You found people accidentally serendipitously again that are different. And, uh, and I throw out the fourth one I got from that. How do you start a business? Lots and lots of ideas. Not one, not two, not three, lots of them. And then you test the idea. So he's testing to see if there's any patents. He's testing to see if someone else thought of it. Why waste a year inventing something that somebody's already invented? And then he's testing the market with conversations. That's how you start a business. You model the financials and test it. Model the financials, test it. Build a prototype and test it. But I just got to ask you, who makes syringes now? And why the hell don't they make one half the size? And why did you choose pre-filled? There's got to be something in pre-filled. And I would be scared of these guys just going, okay, shrink the machines. We're going to make smaller ones. Um, so, uh, so how did you pick this? I mean, wh why, why, why isn't so the reason whatever? I, the reason I think it hasn't been done already is because this works well enough for the biggest markets hospitals in America and Europe use these, they pay a bunch of money for them. BD makes a bunch of money and they work. What I've found from talking to investors and talking to folks at the Gates foundation and people who's focus from the beginning is low resource settings that higher resource companies and investors will look for an exit quickly to your point about the the other guys so quick exits means high profit margins and high profit margins means spending in areas that can afford it so once you come up with a product that works and you have a good margin on you're not going to spend all those extra hours reducing, reducing, reducing cost because it already works. But when we started in Liberia is where Ian spent most of his time. When we started with Liberia, we started with the need in the low resource community. Then the idea came from the ground up. And that's when we were able to see the opportunity where if you're starting from the top down, you might miss it. And there's another lesson in there. If you're fighting the big boys, you've got to find the niche. And you find, there's niches that they're not going to play in. It's not worth their time. Yeah. Um, but they need to be filled. And you know what they're doing? They're waiting to listen to this podcast because they want to know who is filling that niche. So they wait and they watch. They know, they know their market. 
they're not they're geniuses. They got lots of Harvard and lots of Dartmouth in their business, analyzing, suggesting, strategizing. They are purposefully leaving these niches alone because it's not it's not part of their strategy, it's not part of their business model, it's not part of their growth plan, but they know someone else is going to do it and then they're going to go buy them. And that's what's going to happen to Robert here. And it's also going to happen to Ryan. It was his idea. And it's going to happen to Ian because it was his idea to exit. And he came up with that whole plan because he went to Harvard. <laughs> so um, you found a niche that no one's playing in. They can play in it. They can play in it easy, but they're not going to recraft their machines. They're not going to spend the time, the money. Exactly they're not going right. to build a whole new sales force in a different market because they understand core competency because they're geniuses. And core competency came from Harvard. That's where the concept came from. Um, Prowlhead and Hamill. So they know that. And they're letting you do this and they're watching. They might even invest in you. Why pre-filled? So pre-filled, so there's, there's two directions. Smaller niche, isn't it? It's a smaller niche, isn't it? Well, first of all, pre-filled syringes have a ton of health benefits. You have a lower risk of needle stick injury because you don't have to transfer from a vial or an ampule. So there's fewer pieces of medical waste. And the amount of precision that you can get from a pre-filled syringe is a lot higher because you don't have to overfill a syringe that you pull out of a vial. And when you have the medication already loaded, the amount of training that you need in order to access this care is a lot lower. So you can send this out to communities that- Everything good for third yes. world. And then also from the top down, if you're the CEO of a medical company or a hospital and you're looking at- the rates at which your nurses are administering medication and using resources, these are less expensive from a material perspective. And these being the big ones, excuse me, these being the big traditional syringes. Yes. Yeah. The, a pre-filled syringe is better in almost every way than pulling medication out of a vial, except for the fact that it costs more to ship. So the CEOs want to transition everything into pre-filled. That's why right now the market for pre-filled syringes is about $8 billion, and it's projected to grow 10% year over year for the next 10 years. So not only with Pacto are we trying to convert existing pre-filled syringe people from the old technology to our technology, but we're also going to create an environment where we can bring in new customers who didn't use pre-filled who are now able to afford it. So we're going at it from two directions, and it's pretty exciting. Wow. Yeah, I mean this this is this is uh, game changing stuff here. And how do you change the game one niche at a time? And I don't know if you're listening, if you're really paying attention here to the Dartmouth education you're getting for free. Um, there is on deck three or four other products for not the random industry, for the medical industry, because they understand core competency. They've got the same customers in the same countries with the same salespeople in the same offices and the same, 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 same. So they plug in those ice packs and that other stuff that Robert was talking about a few minutes ago. Um, and so you leave, you start the business, and I know you're consulting on the side, which you can do if you're successful. You can, And I love consulting as a backup job. If you want to be a stay-at-home parent, you could be a consultant and start to phase in hours as you see it. You got to have, again, excellence is trying lots of things, but you got to be prepared. You can't just be a consultant with no experience. You got to have the experience. So he's doing that on the back end, so like so many entrepreneurs do, creating income while he runs his business, not taking a salary, but you better be booking a salary. The company needs to owe you a salary. Better put that on the books. When people start investing, you need to get all that money. You loaned them in your quarter million dollar year salary back. And so do the other guys. So a good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. I'm full of these good ideas. And that's why I take advisory board seats. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, and I don't know where I just lost my, in my selfishness, I lost my train of thoughts. <laughs> so you got the great idea that you believe in and you've got all these people that are backing it up, which I've heard that a million times. Ideas are free. People that love your ideas, sometimes they hate them, you ignore them. Sometimes they love them, you got to ignore them too. Um, and then you go off and start. What, what sort of things are you having to fund right now and you know, you're six months in, where is it going next? You've got a few prototypes, you've tested a little bit. Um, so you had the think about it, model it, research it. Now you're kind of in the test it phase. What's next in this entrepreneurial journey six months into the startup? We are looking for funding and partners to do a pilot program. We want we have validated this with individual physicians in a at home context, we send them the syringes, friends of friends, 
get them, use them, they like them. We need to do this in a real clinical setting. We need to have the professional atmosphere, the dummies that they use, the real saline lines, and something that we can go to the FDA and say, this device is safe. This device has the same functionality as existing pre-filled syringes. It is only benefit. And in order to do that, we need to have really rigorous testing and pilot programs. So that's that's our big next step is the 510K FDA approval. Yeah, so that's different in the medical world because it's very regulated. So if he was making rain gutters, he wouldn't have to go through that very expensive step. So a lot of times you go through the research, the modeling, the testing, and then you begin selling. You test your model. Unfortunately, in the medical business, people can die. So they don't let you just start selling your random drug that might kill people. You've got to fund a lot of clinical trials and they go through different stages and they take a long time to get approved for human use. So you're looking to basically, you've developed this idea, you've gotten some feedback that this is a great idea from big people like the Gates Foundation. And now you're taking your idea with the backup of your idea to go raise money so you can afford to do the testing. That's right. Testing doesn't work. Everybody wasted their money. We know that's not going to happen. If the testing does work, then you're in the next phase, which would be what? Beginning to so then put it out in the test market. Yeah, exactly. Once once we get approval to use this in clinical settings, we will be in parallel building tooling, building out our manufacturing capability. We're going to use contract manufacturing first, so we don't have to worry about clean rooms and all that kind of stuff. But we will find a probably a small clinic, probably not either a small local clinic or a university-affiliated clinic like Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center, for example, might talk to us. And lesson number 99, and we've heard it a few times, maintain relationships. We've got a podcast on that. He's checking in with his buddy from college every week, doing this brainstorming. He takes the call from, uh, uh, I think it was Ryan, um, to hear the ideas and listening to the ideas, trying to add value to a friend that became a business. I'm sure he keeps in contact with Dartmouth. You don't just get to call up after 10 years and say, help me out. You have to show that you've got this track record and maintaining relationships and listening and helping. And I, I, I've known Robert for now 59 minutes. I already know that this is a trustworthy guy. I already know that this is a guy that's not out here just for himself. He's out to help people. When you have that attitude and you're lifting instead of just lifting yourself, others, people want to jump on that. You got these people jumping on, want to help because they like you. You need that. So you're going to go test it out. And then what's the dream? What's the dream? Honestly, I appreciate all the compliments, by the way. At the, ultimately, we want to get this technology out into the world because we see We've done the calculations. You, you, you were kind of riffing in the beginning about it being, you know, however many cents cheaper, but it, it's it's ten times more expensive to ship this thing than it is to make the plastic that is a part of it. So the shipping savings is enormous. That's the competitor. That's the competitor. Yeah, and so if we're able to get this into the hands of the folks that Ian found in in Liberia and, and was not found, who is he was working with in in Liberia then that's a win. And originally we thought we were going to get there through licensing the IP or selling it. But now the journey has unfolded for us as being start this company, start manufacturing, get partners. And all three of us, our goal is just to get this technology out into the world. And you're going to have to go out and hire because how the hell do you distribute? What's the logistics? I mean, you can you can try to learn everything. You went to Harvard and Carnegie Mellon and and Dartmouth and whoever else, wherever the other people that are coming went to, also those great schools. But you, you don't know everything, and it's a waste of time. So you want to be a world expert in manufacturing, design, sales, and distribution? Ain't going to happen. So you have to start looking for partners or other people uh, to fill in those blocks. And so distribution is going to be an issue that he's got to figure out. You can have the greatest thing in the world if you can't distribute it. Who cares? 
Um, marketing is going to be an issue. Uh, he's already working with the Gates Foundation. A lot of people don't care, right? They're worried about what's in their backyard. This is a long way away. So targeting the right people, there's all sorts of challenges coming down the pike, but you're just biting off one at a time. And I'm assuming you guys have a few plans for each of the next challenges, right? What if scenarios? That's right. Yeah. And I think to, to our earlier point about what makes success, success, just call people. I'm going to a pre-filled syringe conference next week. The ticket is like three grand. We don't have three grand to spend on a ticket, but I called them and explained what we're doing, what we're trying to accomplish. And they said, oh my gosh, we would love to host you. Come on down. We'll sign you up. Don't worry about the charges. I, you were talking about logistics. I filled out a web form for this company called Freight Center, which does a bunch of logistics, uh, international and domestic shipping. And I ended up calling the number and he called me back and ended up giving me way more information than I ever could have asked for or even knew to ask for. And oftentimes you'll call and, and people won't answer or it won't work out, but don't, it doesn't hurt to try. The worst they can say is no. Yeah. Well, that's a great lesson. I'm going to ask you one more question because we're way over. Uh, by the way, John Moran did a podcast with us. He's, I think, the seventh largest logistics company now. He just purchased. So if you ever want to talk to him, you can. And Thanks. I'm going to hook you up with Andrew A. We'll say his name is Andrew A. Maybe he's listening to this podcast right now. Andrew A. Is this a guy to invest in, you think? Because Andrew A. is a big investor in this arena. So I'll hook you up with that because your net worth is your network. Your, I'm sorry, your net, yeah, your net worth is your network. You can edit that if you want. Um, but I got one last question for you. Some point in time, you did something that you were like hated the fact that you did it. You were so bummed. You made a sacrifice for me. I didn't go to Spain and I stayed and started this stupid painting company as a college student. What's a sacrifice you made that you look back and you go, thank God I did that back then because that is setting me up now. You might want to double clap the pausing because I, I, I want to think about this one. They edit the pauses out automatically, but I'll oh, do fantastic. it. Fantastic. I think that when you are passionate about what you're doing, your priorities align themselves so that you're not making sacrifices. I love athletics. I love spending time with my friends, both at night and during the day. But when you care so much about the thing that you're doing, the, the fear of missing out is not very big. So if you can make time for the things that you care about, but you can choose to go home at 11 instead of three. And, and that choice becomes easy when you realize that the people you're surrounded by love you and respect the decisions that you make. And I have found so far that I've been able to do almost everything that I've wanted to do because the things that I've wanted to do are what I prioritize. It's a weird way of answering that question. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you have all these kids and, and you're, you're, you're kind of in that generation that are living this Instagram life where everything's better, prettier, badder ass, more fun than what they're doing. Right. And as you're talking, I was thinking if they were just living at that moment, instead of pausing, if you're listening right now, if you're getting on Instagram, what could you be doing to live instead of worrying about how other people live. If you're living and loving the life that you've been given and you're just so deep into it, you don't have time for Instagram. I, I check it once a week, once every two weeks because I'm living and I don't have this FOMO problem. Everyone's like, oh, look at what this guy's doing. He's in Italy, which I was in Italy, but it's not all day, every day. So I get to stay where I am and, and, make it even better and drive even more passion. So you've, you've been able to disconnect. So here's the solution to FOMO. You get FOMO a lot, live, go up and do something that you're super passionate about. You don't know what you're passionate about. Stop the car right now, sit down, write down 15 things you're passionate about. Do that every day for a week. You're going to have some of these ideas and maybe you're going to go work in a different company. Maybe you're going to start a company. Maybe you're going to go work for a nonprofit. Maybe you're going to Africa, but you got to think about what can I do to live? So I'm not concerned about FOMO. I was going to disregard your uh, answer and throw a yellow flag. I ran out of yellow. Po oh, I've got one right here. Um, but I'm not going to throw a yellow flag because I'm going to take it. If you love what you're doing, the things that you're skipping aren't sacrifices. 
You get to keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Well, Robert, this has been fascinating. I know we're going to hang out a little bit more. I'm, I'm happy to help you with some connections. I'm super passionate about this crazy little weird business that might change the world. There are going to be kids and adults not dying because the medicine has the right amount in the syringe. They're not getting an overdose or they get the medicine that couldn't have been there or the medicine is refrigerated because it fits in a refrigerator. It wouldn't before. This is going to be something crazy. We're going to all gamble on Robert. Robert, we were done, but you had another idea when we came off. So we got to throw it out there. I said, hey, come up with 15 ideas. And you kind of challenged me on that and are speaking from experience. Maybe it's a little bit hard. You got some experience you want to share. How do you even come up with an idea when you're not creative, you don't think of things that way or whatever self-talk you're telling yourself? Tell us what you just told me. Yeah. So when I was growing up, I never considered myself creative at all. I had a very linear brain and I would go from A to B to C to D. And this book, which is called Designing Your Life, teaches you mechanisms that allow you to manufacture creativity. So the people who are appear to be the most creative can seem to jump from one idea to the next and they're totally different and you have no idea how they went from one idea over here and then this totally innovative concept that I never would have thought of before. But if you peel back the curtain, there's techniques and structures that you can use, um, mind mapping, journey mapping. Um, there's a, a bunch of different ways you can do that. Lateral thinking, they all have names. They sound kind of kooky, but you can apply this to your life. And if you are trying to come up with 15 things you're passionate about, don't be afraid if you get stuck on number three. There are ways that you can explore your yourself and your life so that you don't feel like, oh, I'm, I'm stuck. I can't even come up with this list. Like, don't worry about it. There's ways. And this book, I'm not paid to say this. I just like the book and the people who wrote it. Um, it's called Designing Your Life. And if you, if you want to make a change, it's a good place to start. Well, I really appreciate you bringing that to my attention because you're right. Sometimes I throw things out there. I've been at the place. I was, de I was depressed at one point in time and I couldn't come up with any ideas. I couldn't come up with any plans. So that does happen. If that's happening to you, there's a great way to get out of it. Thank you again, Robert, for your excellent uh, punctuation and vocabulary. Thank you for not using any cuss words, which made me look bad. And thank you for coming on the Edge of Excellence today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.